everybody. Welcome to another episode of Downton Gabby. Today we're talking about season four, episode three. Um, uh, slightly less horrible to watch than last week's, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. I'm Teresa Schechter in Brooklyn. I'm Brandi Seri in Los Angeles. And I'm Shannon Bowen in Oakland. I don't even want to start with Anna because... You know, we talked about that a lot last week. I still have a lot of strong feelings about how they're handling that storyline. But I want to start with something really salty. And that is, yeah, salty. Edith, (laughs) she gave up her V-card, didn't she? She was out till 6 a.m. Come on. Our little Edith growing up in front of our eyes. I'm really happy for her. I'm, I'm really happy for her. And I... And I approve of, of this premarital sex that she is now doing because I think Michael <laughs> is a nice guy and I loved her walk of shame, I have to admit. And the whole dressing down by Aunt Rosamond, that was all pretty great. Um, but mostly I'm just happy for her. She's in love with a wonderful guy. So now in Down Abbey time, how long have they been fraternizing? Like... I mean, like a year, right? Because right. it was well before so. Matthew died that she started right. doing her London magazine adventures. So it's right. not like this is a rash decision. And he seems pretty serious about actually following through with marrying her at some point. God knows what that document was that he had her sign about it. Yeah, can we talk about that? What was that, a power of attorney? Just in case while he's gone something happens. What? what? And she just signs it without even looking at it. Well, there was a wonderful tweet about she sure is Lord Grantham's daughter. Yeah, that was by Tom and Lorenzo. And that's what we assume the document is. But we don't know. She didn't read it. She just (laughs) signed it. And so, you know, we are on Team Edith 100%. But I am smelling doom. I'm worried. I mean, what would he possibly have had her sign that would be bad, though? Like, yeah, she doesn't have think, anything. I don't think there was anything nefarious in the signing. It's just funny that, you know, she didn't take any time to read it over. But it sounds like he was sort of giving her more responsibilities at the magazine while he's gone. Uh, it She's going to be acting think, editor. Yeah, something, which really made me think, I would have really loved to see more of Edith, the writer and working woman and toast of London Literary Society. I think that would have been fantastic. And I'm kind of sad that we didn't get any of that at all. Right. I I would love to see more of that. I am, in general, enjoying how much time we're spending in London this season. I just, I love it. But yeah, I want to see more of her writing. I want to know what she's writing about. I want to see her bustling around the office. So what did you think about Rosamond, you know, kind of dressing her down? Did you think Rosamond was right? Do you think she was just being a bitch? What did you think? I just think she's worried and probably not without reason. You know, she doesn't want anybody's reputation to be sullied, etc. I think she knows what's up. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that I think that Rosamond's actually pretty cool. I mean, she could have been much worse about it. Um, and she seems she seems like she's worried for Edith, but she didn't like call Edith a slut or anything. Right. She just said, "Oh, this is going to hurt your reputation if someone finds out." But she didn't say that Edith was a bad person. 
Yeah, I think the way she framed it, too, is just, like, I get the sense that maybe she's been burned by some dudes in the past, and she identifies with Edith, kind of, you know? Edith's worried that she's going to end up, you know, an unmarried older woman like Rosamond is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, and you know, she, she lives in London for a reason. I think she's had some fun in her day. I'm not as worried about Edith because I feel like we're finally entering the era where it's okay to have premarital sex and you're not damaged goods and you'll never get married. Well, you know, the time between the wars, especially in the UK, was a time of a lot of debauchery and crazy living because the people who survived World War One just started living for today. So you've got the whole bright young things, which Rose is this perfect example of. Mm-hmm. And all like rich and young and basically living a completely hedonistic life. So there was a lot of room for, for things that before World War I would have never happened. And um, also just generally women after World War I just started having more sex in general. Fantastic. I'm happy to be in that time. <laughs> Fantastic. Here. Well, you know, by the way, Rosamond's not single. I mean, she's a widow. Oh. But she's like a single widow. I mean, you know, she's chosen yeah. to not get married. Well, what, there was that old storyline where someone was courting her, but he was... He was humping the lady's maid. Oh, that's what it was. I knew oh, he was like yeah. some type of con artist or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, but she, her name is Rosamond Painswick. So mm-hmm. her Mr. Painswick um, passed away, but I think he was very rich. And I think that there was a, just a smidgen of disapproval because he was like relatively new money. Mm-hmm. Do you guys not pay attention to the show? I really like it, Rosamond. So <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> this at all. Oh, wow. Well, I, I keep careful track of, of my single ladies, I guess. I'm sorry I don't keep a Downton Abbey diary like you do, <laughs> <laughs> tracking every character's every move. No, no, just the, just the cool single ones. That's all. I know, I'm much less invested in Mary's story than I am like Edith and Aunt Rosamond. But I think I think you're right. Who was saying that Aunt Rosamond might have some some past life that she so she's kind of relating to Edith. And um, I think that's really interesting. Something's going on sort of under the surface there. I just like it when she decided to go along to the jazz club. She's like, oh. <laughs> Well, it wasn't really a jazz club, guys. I mean, it was basically like the country club and there was like a black singer there. I mean, you know, we've seen the jazz clubs and they're a lot more fun than that. That was pretty proper. Yeah, but still, I mean, when Tom says, I'll stay home with Rosamond and Rosamond's like, no, I'm going. <laughs> that was great. Um, so do you want to talk about the the band leader? Yeah. Yes. Who is very adorable and has maybe not actually a very great singing voice and a weird accent. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's up with his accent? It's strange. I don't know. And the singing voice sounded way too modern for me. It was weird. Yeah. He, everything about him is a little off and not just because he's a black character on Downton Abbey, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, so I was doing some research, of course, and I found out that he's based on um, a jazz singer named Leslie Arthur Hutchinson, who who was a hugely popular and totally scandalous band leader in the UK at the time, and had this long, long affair with uh, Elvina Mountbatten, who was married to the famous Mountbatten, who became Viceroy of India. 
Anyway, major scandal. Please. I was really surprised by Rose because I felt like I felt like she was the most progressive of her whole party there because she didn't see it as odd at all that, you know, she was dancing with him and talking with him because he was so gallant and saved her from this embarrassing situation. And even I thought Tom might step up because he's always been an outsider, but he seemed to go along with it. And I was really proud of Rose and I was excited about to see where she was going to go. Yeah, that was kind of a weird reaction on Tom's part, right? But I guess we're we're very eager to give these characters credit for probably more more contemporary or more twenty uh, first century views than they're actually gonna have. So, well, I was thinking back to when this whole situation with Rose made me think back to Sybil when she went to that protest um, for women's voting rights and Tom was there and he was you know of course igniting the flames of rebellion in her and I I don't know and then him moping around you know thinking about this huge mistake he made and stuff and I I kind of want Tom to find his voice again yeah yeah he needs to snap out of it I mean this Edna thing definitely seems like it's it's weighed on him in this episode I was really interested in the idea that, you know, Tom now being an upstairs person and a member of the Grantham family would have had um, much, much more power than Edna. Um, And he really could have just told her to piss off or paid her off to disappear or right or anything. Um, And he didn't. Um, But I feel like he he was so silenced and so like quaking over it. I I think he would have otherwise, maybe because he comes from downstairs and he doesn't really, he hasn't really um, fully embodied his Grantham family mojo or something. Um, But anyway, I I, I think it's great that Mrs. Hughes found that book and bluffed her and got her out of there. And by the way, so the book, Mary Stopes Married Love, that's the book she found. That's the marriage manual I was talking about last week. I thought so. I got really excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a classic it's a classic book that you were supposed to read when you were getting married so you would understand what sex was. Ooh. But of course it's a lot by people who are not married, like Edna. Um uh, but that was a great bluff and I'm so glad to see the back of Edna. I can't even tell you. Yeah, I was so glad to see Edna go that I was even willing to accept the massive convenience again of someone having a document or letter or book or something that (laughs) just brings everything to a screeching halt. Yeah, Mrs. Hughes really had like some fury in that scene. And then afterwards, she's basically like, I can't believe it worked. Yeah. She's got her hand in every storyline right now. Right. I know. Her her room is the confessional right now. Yes. Yes. I know. And But she's, she's such a badass. I mean, really. She's really great. Her and Mrs. Patmore could pretty much rule the world, given the chance, I think. I'm, I'm still waiting for the spinoff series about them fighting crime. <laughs> when they become, they become detectives. Yeah. yeah, like they'll meet up with the Bletchley Circle and then shit's going to get real. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, since uh, we've cited 
Sadie Doyle on here before. She writes really great recaps, and she uh, her one this week pointed out that some of the language that was written for Mrs. Hughes' character in that scene was very like, wow, because it's like, I'll strap you down and rip your clothes off if I have to, and it's just like, oh god, there's really a lot of like assault imagery happening on this show lately. I don't know what happened to Julian that he's working out, but it needs to dial back a notch. <laughs> Right. I did find that very odd because she's she's always been very proper. You know, she her and Carson are both extremely pop, proper. And so I, I, I that was jarring to me. She's fed up, fed up with all the nonsense. Well, Mrs. Hughes is like, fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. You know? Yeah. Yeah. She was just really angry that Edna weaseled her way into there and caused trouble all over again. And she gave her a good. Uh, a good reference again. <laughs> Bullshit. I mean, you realize that Edna walked out of there with a good reference. Oh, God. It's ridiculous. I just feel like I'm so sick of these maids showing up for two to three episodes for the dumbest story arc that just resolves where things began. It doesn't push anything forward. It's just a distraction. And it's it's insulting to maids. Okay, I think that there are good stories about maids and he doesn't know how to write one. And I'm just sick of these stupid characters showing up for two days and leaving. Well, the Edna storyline is just completely recycled from last season. I, I don't they didn't bring anything new to this story at all. I mean, yeah, it was good to see Mrs. Hughes, you know, giving her a can of whoop ass or whatever. But um, <laughs> I can't believe you just said open a can of whoop ass. That's <laughs> Maybe my favorite thing that ever happened on this podcast. <laughs> um, Wait, I so really, I really, really want a t-shirt made like they used to make in the 90s, but it's Mrs. Hughes holding out a can that says whoop ass and it says, don't make me open this. Please, please someone make this shirt. I will buy so many of them. <laughs> um, yeah. So there you go. Worth it for that, but otherwise really wasting a lot of time on something that is pretty much identical to what happened last time. Exactly. Well, what did you guys think about, you know, let's get to it, the, you know, Anna, Mrs. Hughes conversation there about Anna wanting to move back into the house. What did you guys think? Uh, I think this is, was bizarre to me. I think Joanne Froggett is doing a great job with this storyline, but I just hate the material that she's being given because that didn't feel like Anna to me. That didn't feel like how Anna would react to a trauma. You know, we saw how she was with um, when she thought her husband was going to die and she was very like determined and really always wanting to hope for something. So to watch her all of a sudden just be like, well, my life's over. I don't, it's not ringing true to me. There's a lot of things that don't add up to me. And once again, a fucking man wrote this, that this very strong woman who's dealt with a lot of intense situations would completely fall apart and forget who she is and become this alien person because of a trauma I feel like it's insulting to her inner strength. I think it just seemed like, you know, it's it's pretty much literally the next day. And it seems like she's just gone. She's articulating pretty complex emotions of shame and mm -hmm. fear. Yeah. 
And I just think she wouldn't be so, she would at least be confused at this point, maybe. Right? I don't, I don't know. It's just not working for me. Mrs. Hughes, I think Mrs. Hughes's language, although, like, I guess we like to hear that Mrs. Hughes is telling her that she's a victim, she shouldn't blame herself, um, things like that. That's all great to our 21st century ears. But really, is that what she would really say? I mean, even Mrs. Hughes? I feel like this would have been a really big shame for Anna, and it would have been a really big deal for Mrs. Hughes. I don't think it, they would have been so modern and open-minded, because a lot of people today aren't that modern and open-minded. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and then I think it would make more sense with her, with all of this, if that shame was coming from other people instead of mm -hmm. just self-inflicted. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what would make it work. She seems to be, uh, yeah, they're they're trying to to make those feelings happen from just inside of her when no one around her is acting like that at all. She's not getting that message from anywhere. So where is it coming from? Exactly. I think that's a really key issue here that you have just uh, talked about, which is these the people around her are behaving in like the textbook support most possible supportive way, which is weird. And and it's Anna who's beating herself up with absolutely no provocation from outside. Yeah. Right. And that just does not ring true at all. It doesn't ring true. No, and it felt melodramatic, and I hate saying, like, you know, I hate saying, like, this character that was raped is being melodramatic. I hate that, because they no, should be able to is. feel what they should feel, but I felt like it was exactly what you're saying, Brandy. It's not in step with the character, and it just was too much. Well, it's the narrative being melodramatic by making sure that her reaction is the one that will most affect someone else, rather than herself. This is this her reaction, having to keep this secret and feeling soiled. What it's really about is so that Bates can have something to do right now. Right. And let's get to it. OK, I went into this episode like I am going to listen to every line that Bates says. And I want to tell you that every line started with I. I need you to kiss me. I need to know what's going on. It was never like I'm worried about you, Anna. How are you feeling? Absolutely no use. It was all eyes. Yeah, and he has that weird scene in um, Lord Grantham's room where he's like, well, Anna is utterly without fault, so it has to be something I did. And I was just like, way to put unrealistic expectations on your wife. I mean, that wasn't sweet to me. That was kind of twisted. Yeah, so I turned to my boyfriend next to me and I told him, I would never say that about you. And you are <laughs> capable of fault, and so am I. And oh, that's, yeah. I've, that's I've heard you guys fight about the dishes before. I've yeah. heard it. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like this whole episode was about pushy men. You know, and I just kind of got it in my head. It was like, Bates pushing Anna. I need to know. I need to kiss. Oh, my God. When he said I needed to kiss, I wanted to punch him. But that's not a rare feeling with me and Bates. But, um, you know, and then... You know, glamorous pirate pushing. Oh, yeah. Oh, Let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> Kill the fuck out. I've known you for a day, but I'll never love again like I love in this moment. I mean, it was it was weird, right? Yes, it was weird. I really like him, by the way. I think he's lovely, and he's clearly a gentleman, and he's a sweetheart. 
and his heart is in the right place. So I actually like this character a lot. That is not true. I, you just think he's hot. You're saying all yeah, these no. high-fluent <laughs> things, and you just think he's hot. No. Oh, that too, yeah. <laughs> he is hot, but I, he seems like a good guy. Yeah. You know, but he seems like a not- weird guy to me. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think my main problem wasn't so much his passion or whatever. It was just the show rushing this along. Why do we why does this need to happen the episode after we just met the guy? Why can't we spend a little fun time with him and then have this come about a little bit more organically? Wait, yeah. is he a stalker because he literally, this is the part that weirded me out the most. He took the same train back in a different car and in a then different showed class. up. In that's third weird. class, right? That shows that's how weird. down to earth he is. No, that's weird. That's stalkerish. <laughs> and then it's like, I can't love without you. I mean, it's weird. It's stalkerish. The fine line between stalking and romance, right? <laughs> it's true. It is a fine line. I, I like that he shows up and he's like, well, I brought a bag just in case. <laughs> Optimistic. And, and they all had to wear black tie because that's all that, that Lord Gillingham brought. So there they all are in their black tie like they're going to a barbecue. They're rompers. <laughs> I noticed that in London, too, all the men were in black tie. So, you know, as as the Dowager said, another brick pulled from the wall. Oh, God, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump to cargo pants, guys. <laughs> oh, man. Cargo pants are the worst. Yeah. Well, and so they, but the kiss was sort of romantic, and I always like it when they're like out on the field and the down is looming in the distance. I I was really touched by by Mary explaining to him why she wasn't ready. I mean, I thought that was a yeah. really beautiful scene, and the fact that she gets all teary, um, you know, for someone who never displays any emotion whatsoever. Um, to do that and then a few minutes later go inside and over going to Yorkshire to do some business and I'll get my hat, you know. And it was great. Like, that was pointing inside. Yeah, it was great. Um, I did like how someone on Twitter mentioned that, um, you know, when they when she's walking back towards the house and there's the two baby carriages, it's like, just a reminder, the babies still exist. Let's <laughs> see, though. Yeah. No, no not even like a wave. <laughs> It's kind of sad, but I'm really coveting Mary's purple velvet dress. Power I color. Really want, I really want that dress. It's beautiful. I am ready for some more boardroom scenes with her and her power color. I I like the the wooing. It's fun and everything, but I agree with her. She needs some time to mourn, and she needs to figure out who she's going to be, and I think part of that is figuring out you know, where she stands and being the heir to Downton. And I don't think she can be with another man until she figures that out. So I want her to focus on that. Yeah, me too. Team Mary. Team Mary. Well, I guess we have to go downstairs now, unfortunately, to the... And talk about Alfred wanting to be a chef? (laughs) Yeah. Easily the most exciting thing that happened on this episode was Alfred getting a notice in the mail. Another pushy guy. Um, Jimmy on Ivy. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy's gonna, Jimmy's gonna do something bad by the end of this season. He's just so smarmy lately. He's like a rascal now. Yeah. His hair is all greasy and in his face and stuff. It's like, yeah, he's, well, he's talking about becoming a gigolo. I mean, that's his dream to travel (laughs) the world and get paid for it. 
you know that is seriously that is his dream and daisy oh what a bitch i didn't think it was that bad i don't Sorry. Really? That she made Alfred go to the room where she knew that the, that Jimmy and Daisy and Ivy were making out? He had it coming. I don't know. I think she saved him, you know, some trouble. I think it was kind of a bad thing to do. But if I was trapped downstairs watching every guy in the vicinity moon over Ivy, who really is not that special, like mm-hmm. she just got to make the Hollandaise or whatever. I mean, come on. Desperate times. I get, a little, I get a little fed up too. I didn't judge her. I literally was going, is this that bad? I don't know. I want her to go to the cooking school. I yeah. think that she, I still say this, she needs to get out of that house. I, I still have that fantasy of her and Alfred ultimately getting together and making jams and things on the farm. That's scandal. Selling them at, you That's know. what they, they talk <laughs> yeah, about in Vermont. Scandal. Yeah. <laughs> I'm confusing oh, the two God. shows again. <laughs> right. Oh, sorry. No, I look. Fuck Alfred. She's way too good for him. I think the thing that bothers me about this storyline is Daisy is a character who has worked her ass off just to get to the point of being like Mrs. Patmore's right hand gal, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And then Alfred's going to come in, whip up a sauce one time, and now he's going to go off and go to the fucking Cordon Bleu or whatever it is. I mean, oh, talk about a man getting to do stuff that a woman can't do. It's just very infuriating to think about. The only other little thing I guess I would mention is Isabel's sort of evolution storyline as she comes out of mourning. I have to say that her moments with the Dowager are really fantastic. I'm really enjoying them um and and i'm enjoying the dowager like taking care of isabel it's incredibly Mm -hmm. sweet and i like how how she gets those moments of tenderness and not just her you know quippy self i am just hearing brandy's voice in my head every time the dowager's (laughs) nice it's like please don't die i just have to say it i'm just a little worried i'm a little worried that she's being so nice i love her scenes with isabel i agree but i'm worried and everyone's yeah. wearing purple. Everyone's wearing purple. Yep. Otherwise, this this wasn't a particularly exciting episode. Um, it seemed like we were sort of wrapping up a few storylines that passed by too quickly. And otherwise, it was mostly just people talking about stuff. Not really a lot being pushed forward. So I don't really know what's going to go on next week because I feel like beyond more Bates skulking about trying to figure out what's going on with Anna. I don't know if we have a lot of continuing storylines at this point. Well, we have a new ladies maid coming in. So, Oh, right. That will be exciting. I hope that, I hope that gives Thomas something to do. Yeah, seriously. So, he really needs a story. Like really badly. He's literally just wandering around downstairs, sniffing at people right now. That's all he's doing. Definitely. Yeah, I don't know where things are going. Um, I want to see more Rose and the jazz singer, Avi. Um, really enjoying uh, Edith's storylines. Slash, I'm a little worried, but want to keep going. Um, I, I when does Cora's family show up? I know they're coming in this season. I can't wait for them to show up. So, Paul Giamatti at Downton. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> it's gonna be a little weird, right? <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a little weird. 
Well, great. Well, I definitely came into this episode with a heart full of dread. I, I can't say that that dread is totally gone because of the Anna storyline. It's still there, especially since the glamorous pirate and, you know, Mary still have this flirtation, which means that Mr. Green comes with him, except for this last visit. So that is continuing on. So I, I, I do... I, I'm still upset that I have this feeling of dread in my heart when watching the show because I want to just embrace it. Um, but it's lessening each episode. Yeah. It was a really long monologue. I'm sorry. That was fine. I'm sorry. I stopped uh, listening and started looking at the website. Wanna... <laughs> <laughs> I... Guys, do you want to just like wrap it up, Teresa? Yeah. Just be yeah. like, for listening. All right. Yeah. Thank you for listening to another episode of Downton Gabby. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Downton Gabby and on Facebook at Downton Gabby and on Tumblr at, you guessed it, DowntonGabby.tumblr.com. And you can uh, search for Downton Gabby on all sorts of podcast apps, including iTunes, where we would love you to leave a review of our show. Who knew there were actually reviews of our podcast there? Only leave them if they're nice, of course, because you don't want to hurt our feelings or anything. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. I don't want your number now.